0: And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework.
1: Welcome to the
2: Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. <laughs> Fantasy question? Email baseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris.
0: Welcome in to another mailbag edition of Fantasy Baseball. Today, Frank Sample joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. And today on the show, we've got some data, early returns on the new rules in spring training and how they're affecting things thus far. And of course, we'll get to your mailbag questions. Apple Podcast Review, and some emails later on in the show. Let's start off with these early returns, what we've noticed on these new rules. And before we get into the actual data, and so I wanted to ask you guys how you feel about the pitch clock. I feel like we haven't actually talked about it yet. There's been lots of takes on Twitter and in the baseball world. Uh, Scott, we'll start with you. As of March 1st, the average game time in spring training was two hours and 39 minutes. So... That's part of the goal that they want to achieve. But how do you feel as a fan watching the game with the pitch clock?
3: So I've only tuned into one spring game so far, um, but I did explicitly for that purpose. I wanted to see what it felt like to experience the pitch clock. And my gosh, it's I had heard this from people who watched a lot of minor league games last year that you don't even realize how much you're going to appreciate the pitch clock until you see it in action. And that's exactly the way I felt about it. The pace, it was it was almost like video game speed, you know? Um, and just like, you've seen a lot of these side-by-side comparisons on Twitter of uh, there was one where a pitcher in sp- this spring got through a whole inning and the time it took a pitcher last year to throw one pitch. <laughs> yeah you know and it's just the 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 amount of dead time that becomes live time is it's it's really the sort of thing like if you haven't seen a spring game yet you you need to because it's going to change the experience of watching a baseball game on TV dramatically and i think we're going to look back on this in 20 years and be like This was the thing that saved baseball. (laughs) Like that's that's how big of a change I think it is. Chris,
0: no surprise, the baseball purists are up in arms about the pitch clock, and which
4: is so silly because the thing that I keep going back to is this is what baseball was for such a long time. Like this morning, I was looking back. I I went and watched like there's a a 1965 World Series game that Sandy Koufax started, and that's. That's the I searched for that just because like I know the purists love Sandy Koufax. They they think he's like the best ever. He's really good, not to take anything away from him. But like you watch it and it's like it's like this is like 1965, Sandy Koufax. Like his arm is already destroyed. He's got one year left. He's laboring. And it's like 15 to 17 seconds between when he gets the ball back and when he throws, which is what we're aiming for here. I watched a 97 World Series game. Same thing. Levon Hernandez pitching game one in the 97 world series he gets the ball eight seconds between when he gets the ball back and when he throws, this is what baseball was. So like the purists are just being reactionary. I feel like this isn't actually like a, like a principled stand against what baseball used to be. It's just, they don't like a new thing, but like, this is like, like aesthetically, as long as the pitch clock is not in your view, which it won't be in the actual games. It isn't spring training, but that's just how the spring training thing works. It's going to look like baseball looked for a hundred years before. And so my only thing yeah. is as long as it doesn't lead to more injuries, I have no problem with it. I can see some situations where like those high intensity postseason moments where like the pitcher staring down the hitter, like I could see losing some kind of drama in those moments, but who cares, right? Like, and and it's one of yeah. those things people always do I, the like I, I, people do just like they did with the DH they're like it takes away the strategy and it's like, it's like no it introduces different strategy like batters have to be in the box quicker like the, it it's not taking away strategy it's a different version of it and and I just again as long as there's no increase in injuries as a result of this and the minor league data suggests that there won't be or at least not a noticeable one I have no problem with it, and I can't imagine anybody actually disliking this. I, I think the
3: principle that they're railing against is just the idea that baseball right. was always the sport that didn't have a timer compared right. to you know football, basketball, basically every other. Um, and and so that that I, I understand sure. why that would upset the purest sensibilities. But what I've noticed, I mean, who are the most high-profile baseball purists out there they're crusty old broadcasters right and what (laughs) i've noticed i've said i've only tuned in for one spring game i've caught clips of others and I, i i've noticed that they're all like while they may have disagreed with the idea in principle when they actually experience what the pitch clock is doing to the experience of watching a game they they all seem pretty happy with it i, I, I think mean, it's the sort of thing where it's worse in your imagination or maybe you don't appreciate the upsides of it in your imagination as much as you do once you you know once
4: it's reality i mean hey look if i'm getting paid the same amount of money to work less i'm gonna be happy about it too
0: <laughs> look i can't speak for purists but i would imagine it's not the aesthetic that they're worried about it's Clips like the one that Jeff Passan tweeted out last week, where it's bases loaded, there's two outs, the game is on the line, and it ends in a tie because it's spring training. But the yeah. the inning ends because the batter wasn't in the box in time, like something like that. that. Will, that's going to get people up happen. in arms.
3: Yeah, like that's why they're introducing it in spring training to get everybody used to it. And well, like the player in the moment is going to understand the stakes of that, and he's not going to goof around with it.
4: And there was like there there was a college game that had a similar situation. It was like bottom of the ninth, two outs, bases loaded, teams down six three, uh, three two count, and the guy doesn't step into the box quickly enough. It's a strikeout, game ends. Like that's a stupid way to end a game. I agree. Like as a fan of sports, like that's a dumb but also just get in the box. Like especially for the hitters, just get in the box. What like what what are you doing? Like that I have zero sympathy for a hitter who gets a strike in this situation. Cause you're not the one who has to do anything. Like I can understand like a pitcher, like, man, I need a couple extra seconds to like, like that was, that was a tough pitch. I feel a little weird. Like I can see that a batter just step in the box, man. Like that's well it, it, in the specific
3: instance, I think he was in the box. He just wasn't looking at the pitcher. Uh, if if I'm remembering it right, I actually mm-hmm. saw it live. Um, and you know, that seems a little more ticky tack, but it's the sort of thing like,
4: if it's a problem, they'll adjust it, right? You know, and th- there will—I'm like- sure there will be a little more leeway. Like there, there. I, this is one of those things. Like we always see this in football, yeah, in preseason, where like there's a point of emphasis, and we're like, oh man, they're calling so many pen. It's like it's a point of emphasis in the preseason to get everybody used to it. Players will adjust, the umps will adjust. It'll probably be like the uh, the play clock in the NFL, where it's like, oh, it was on zero for half a second. It's like they're gonna they're going to give them that half second on zero in a big moment. I'm sure like we're not going to see game seven of the world series decided by a called strike.
0: I hope not. (laughs) Sure hope not. Let's talk about offense and the results that we've seen so far there. The shift affecting scoring and batting average. According to an article from ESPN, runs and batting average were both up through the first wave of games compared to spring training a year ago. Uh, Players hit 272 through February 28th with an average of 11.9 runs scored game. That's obviously total. That's up from a batting average of 259 and 10.6 runs through the same period in 2022. So, it's a very small sample size. I think we can update these numbers as we get further into spring training. But the early returns, batting average way up. 13 points and run scoring is up as well. Steals. Jason Collette put out a fantastic thread on Twitter and his final tweet showed that if this spring training stolen base attempt rate carries into the regular season we will see a 25 percent increase in stolen base attempts this year which is something we've talked about all off season
4: so we were pretty much bracing for this stolen that base would blow actually up. be lower than the increase rate from the from the minor leagues last year I believe I think the the increase was more like 50 percent if I'm remembering correctly from the minors
3: I know so they what said M- M- what MLB's line was was that it would return if, if there was a corresponding increase in the majors, it would return us to the the, the standards standards for stolen bases that we haven't seen since the early 2000s. Yeah, um, or in 2012, not that we, not was that we that- haven't seen since the early 2000s, because actually the early 2010s were even higher. But it would return us to what we saw in the early 2000s. So um, early, so using the year 2000, there were. T- 2924 stolen bases 2900 stolen bases in the year 2000 uh 1.25 times last year's steals total brings it to 3107 stolen bases so it would actually be close to 200 more steals than in the year 2000 wow. so i i think that's um yeah that's that's kind of what we were what we were looking at and hoping for
0: and, I wonder, and, and- I want to read the tea leaves on specific players that are are making a note of this and they want to steal more. I know... Uh, Tommy Edmond was a name that we brought up right during the mock draft mm-hmm. yesterday. And I saw an article from Jason Stark. The Braves say they want to go 40 40, like multiple hitters they think could go 40 40. You know, the 40 home run part. a little lawful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not sure Cunha who the is. Yeah, like <laughs> Michael Harris has talent, but I don't know, 40 <laughs> yeah, 40. Yeah. But the thing is, clearly they're putting an emphasis on they think they can run more. Michael Harris, and it wouldn't surprise me if Ozzy Albies or even Vaughn Grissom, mm-hmm. these guys are athletic enough. So really want to pay attention to which players are saying that they want to run more Chris go ahead I know you had something you wanted to say
4: yeah and you know this is another one just from an aesthetic or or strategy standpoint uh, there's also been a lot of talk like William Wilson Contreras I think has led baseball since he got to the majors in pickoff attempts from the catcher and like that's something that I think Sean Murphy talked about wanting to do more of and that might be a way that teams try to get around this is try to you know use the catcher yep as a way to limit the, the running game more. So like, it's another thing where this wasn't really matter as much for fantasy, but like it just increases or, or redistributes the, the onus on the different players around the field and, and changes the way the strategy works, but it's not necessarily removing strategy. If anything, this kind of limitation increases the strategy because now you have to think about when you're going to step off and when you're going to try to pick off. So I'm, I'm pretty much a fan of all the rules. I think it's it's all yeah. positive. it's It's a really exciting time in
3: baseball, I think. I, I know there are going to be frustrations as we work to adjust in fantasy, in particular, our expectations for certain uh, baselines and and the, the the scarcities that exist in the game is going to change, and we're going to have to adjust on the fly. But I think the product is in every way going to improve.
0: I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. I, I love the changes that they're making, but from a fantasy perspective, I mean, my head is just spinning, trying well, to figure out what, like, how can we actually project this? And I think we don't really know, like, we're seeing improvements already, but I think it's, we're going to have to adjust on the fly, which you were just saying, Scott.
4: And, and, and that's the thing is that from a fantasy perspective, it just increases the uncertainty and there's already a relatively high baseline of level of uncertainty in fantasy baseball relative to other sports in particular, but also the modern era of baseball has created an, and a higher level of baseline uncertainty with not just rule changes, but the changes in the offensive environment with the baseball. And, you know, this year we've got Toronto and who's the other team changing their, their park dimensions, the Tigers, (laughs) Detroit, the Tigers. So like uncertainty is, it's not necessarily a bad thing because it could create a more fun game. It just uncertainty is bad for fantasy because it makes it harder to predict. And so, you know, next year we'll have a better idea of what to expect from, you know, the, these rule changes and how it'll impact and, and what types of players will be impacted. And we'll know a little more, but right now we're, we're heading into 2022 or 2023 juice with uncertainty about what the environment is going to look like at a, on a macro level, and then a few teams, there's a micro level. And so it's, uh, it's interesting times. It's a little frustrating. As a fantasy analyst, it would be nice if next year we could go into the season saying, hey, this is the type of game we are going to be playing because that's, you're playing against your opponents, but you're also playing against the game. And so it's it's an interesting uh, situation to be in as fantasy players and fantasy analysts, for sure.
0: Wouldn't that be something, Chris? Don't hold your breath. That's all I've got to say. Let's get into your mailbag questions. Thank you all so much for all of the questions. They are flooding in. We have so many of them coming in. Uh, I just have a few requests. If you're leaving an Apple podcast review question, please try and keep it strategy or some kind of player focused because uh, we've got a lot of keeper questions and, you know, moving forward, we're going to try and get away from keeper questions on the mailbag, but you could send the keeper questions to the email address at cbsi.com, and I'll try and answer as many of those individually as I possibly can. But again, moving forward on this podcast, we want to focus on specific strategy or maybe certain players, things like that uh, from a fantasy baseball perspective. Let's get into your email questions. This first one is from Wes in a head-to-head five-by-five daily Category snake draft quality starts and OBP instead of average and whip. Okay. That's interesting 10-team three-person keeper league I would like to know what is your draft strategy for a daily lineup league? Should you use any bench spots for hitters or should it be reserved for exclusively pitchers to ensure volume in that space? Also, how does value change with someone like Shane Bieber be more valuable than Francisco Lindor?
4: I don't know. so. In the specific instance of what you're talking about here with the change from quality start from whip to quality start, especially, you know, my typical advice for a daily lineups league for pitching would be you want a lot of pitchers, but also it's easier to get away with just having more middle relief and, and setup up men. Not so in this instance, because now you've got four counting stats uh, in the pitcher categories instead of three and only one of those counting stats benefits relievers. So there's not really much reason to have middle relievers and setup men on your bench in this instance. This is this is one where it probably does make more sense to load up on streaming starting pitchers. And, and the thing is, the problem with loading up on streaming starting pitchers typically is you run the risk of wrecking two different ratio stats with bad starts. Well, here, it's just ERA. So, like, loading up on even bad starting pitchers, their their chances of getting a quality start are pretty low. But now, all of a sudden, this heavily favors starting pitchers because they're the only ones who are getting quality starts. And it, and it heavily not, favors... They're um, not the only ones getting wins, but most wins are going to come from starting pitchers. So, I, I think it does change the balance. In your typical daily league, I think the Marmol strategy is a perfectly viable option in this one. I don't think that's the case. And I think it's more likely to even
0: punt saves in a format like this, where you're sure where quality starts as yeah. a category and wins. You're much more likely to yeah. get those from I starters.
3: I, I guess like Chris was saying, um, you know, I, I think the best way to put it is bad starting pitchers will hurt you less. You still obviously yes. don't want bad starting pitchers, but, mm. uh, because quality starts, uh, and wins are in there, I guess. Yep. Both quality start and wins. Gosh. Yeah, I mean, I do wonder the if he Springs's meant... of the world. Yeah. Uh, like, get... Load up on innings eaters. Um, yeah. Guys who you know are going to go deep into games, which are generally higher ranked in head-to-head points leagues. So maybe look at those rankings for starting pitchers.
0: The Mount Rushmore, Scott. I mean, if we're yeah. talking about Miles Michaelis and Merrill Kelly and... Uh, Tyler Anderson and Martin Perez. I mean, those are yeah, there you go. those are the innings
3: eater types right there. And the even, problem with Martin Perez is whip, and whip doesn't matter. So.
0: Yeah. And even Jose Barrios, I think, is someone who makes a lot of sense in, the, in that format as well. Also from a daily lineup perspective, I've heard this some form of this question before as well. Picking up uh hitters that have certain splits, like, you know, lefties that only play against right-handed pitchers. Hey, you can throw Jock Peterson in there whenever he's facing the mm-hmm. righty, and you just leave him on your bench whenever they're facing a lefty or streaming Rockies hitters whenever they're at home and then just benching them whenever on the, they're on the road? Is that something you guys would pay attention to? I mean,
3: you could do it some, but you only have so many bench spots. And yeah. so you wouldn't want a lineup full of splits guys.
4: Yeah. And, like, there aren't that many Rockies players worth doing that with anyway. You know, like, we potentially just lost Brandon Rogers for the season. So there's one. Yeah. Moore, who is, uh, you know, like how, how many guys would you even want to play that game with with the Rockies? Not many. <laughs> and the ones that you're drafting
0: to be in your lineup, they're, they're probably not ever leaving, right? Like guys like yeah. Chris Bryant like, or
4: something like Charlie Blackman that. maybe becomes more valuable in that. But again, like Scott said, you probably want to, you only have so many bench spots and you probably want to use them for pitchers in this instance.
0: All right. This next question is from Dan, dear Beavis Butthead and Stewart.
4: Well, I'm going to assume Stuart is someone from Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> it's probably a safe assumption.
3: Didn't Beavis,
0: and Butthead, Beavis and Butthead make a comeback? That one. Didn't it make a comeback recently? Yeah.
3: Yes, on uh, uh, <laughs> what's that streaming service of ours? Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus. Yes. You're doing, you're doing a great job, yes. Scott. I <laughs> I was man. trying to go. I was <laughs> trying to be company man, but. No, I know King of the Hill much better than Beavis and Butthead, so I don't know who Stewart is.
0: Fair enough. Last season, you guys were high on the following players who didn't quite break out. Who are you still buying slash not buying from this list? Why or why not? So Brendan Rodgers, eh, not looking too good right now with the injury. Other names here, Patrick Sandoval, Joe Adele, Jared Kelnick, Riley Green, Trevor Rodgers, Alec Bohm, and Jesus Sanchez.
4: I'm still pretty high on a handful of these guys. I think Patrick Sandoval still has a lot of really interesting tools. Obviously, you know, he didn't have quite the breakout we hoped for, but I read an interesting note about him this spring. Patrick Sandoval
3: lost the feel for his changeup during a stretch last year, which forced him to rely on his slider more and develop it so that it became a pretty good swing and miss pitch. His swing and strike rate was still great. It just wasn't as good as 2021. Um, But the changeup has looked good this spring, and he says he wants to throw it yep. more than last
4: year. So I mean, really, just like, let's just be slider slider, changeup for Patrick Sandoval. Yeah. Throw the fastball, like, he he's one of those guys who I wonder, like, I typically think most pitchers should throw their four-seam fastball more than their sinker. You don't usually get much better results on balls and play with the sinker, so you'd rather just chase the whiffs. In his case, his four-seam fastball is so bad that I kind of think he should just be like, a sinker changeup slider guy, and I've the sinker seen- he should throw like 30% of the time. Okay.
3: Yeah, I was gonna say,
4: like change changeup's only good because you throw a fastball, right? Yeah. So I mean in his case, like he's already only throwing his fastballs like 36% of the time total, anyway. So it's not asking too much. I, I do think like the slider and changeup both looked really, really good last season. He got really good results on the slider. So I still think there's a lot to like about Patrick Sandoval. Um, So I'm still in on him as a, you know, kind of mid to late round guy. I, uh, Adele, I just, I think Joe Adele needs to change the scenery. I don't know if they're ever going to trade him, but he's someone who probably just needs to play every day. He seems to be in his head as a fielder, especially, which makes it hard for him to get in the field. So I don't know about him. I would like to see it though. But Riley Green, I'm still definitely in on. He's someone I'm I'm drafting in pretty much every league. I have him way ahead of uh, consensus, so I can still take him in like the twelfth round and get him a lot. Um, Rogers, we all like quite a bit. Yep, my boom not as much, but he's it's a profile that I like to target because he hits the ball hard. He's got pretty good plate discipline. He just needs to elevate it more. Um, so yeah, I I still think there's some, and I actually Calming. did like Brendan Rogers a lot Calming. more. I like Brendan Rodgers quite a bit until this shoulder issue, unfortunately.
3: So, Kelnick has hit three home runs this spring. His exit velocity readings have been ridiculous. Uh, The most recent was off a left-hander and hit the opposite way, which it takes a special amount of power to hit a home run the opposite way now that the juice ball's gone. Um, He's had big springs before. Uh, Not sure how many breaking balls he's seeing right now, and that's been his biggest problem but nobody wants Jared Kelnick. And I don't know, maybe if he keeps performing this spring, it'll change, but his ADPs outside the top 300, everybody's just out on him. And he's 23 years old. He was arguably the top prospect in baseball two years ago. If he was going in the middle rounds, I'd get it. Like, I don't know that I want to try that again, but when he's, basically free i don't understand the downside and i've gotten so much grief on twitter for expressing any amount of optimism for <laughs> jared kelmick and it's like you can't if, if you're if, if the investment is so little what is the downside to drafting mm-hmm. him there's no downside just it's take not, him man. and see how it goes if he's batting you know 150 at the end of april
4: okay move on like Like, like we talked about yesterday most of the guys you're drafting in that range you're going to be dropping or i mean i mean yeah i know if it's like 25th round most of the guys you're drafting there are going to be dropped anyway so take guys with upside and if jared kalanick doesn't work out you'll pick up someone on waivers who can at least be a replacement level player
3: like even now the comments that are showing up in the live stream they're like (laughs) I'm not saying Kelnick is good. I'm just saying he's free and we still don't know what he could be. Yeah.
0: Last name that we haven't mentioned here is Jesus Sanchez. I don't have much faith in Jesus Sanchez, but he's kind of fallen into that Willie Calhoun bucket for me where I don't have confidence, but I'll always love him and I'll always be rooting for him. So I hope it works out. And he's still young enough where I guess it could, but we haven't really seen much. Let's take our first break and we'll get some more questions here on Fantasy Baseball today. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at Hyundaiusa.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back into Fantasy Baseball today, answering your email questions. This one's from Spencer. Hi, Marco, Donnie, and nafi Nefe?
3: Nafi Perez. Yeah, that would be my yeah. Uh... uh that's the only nafi I know. Former Rockies shortstop. Donnie and Marco. Marco Scudero. That was the thought I had, yeah. (laughs) Uh, But I don't know what the connection is. They're infielders. Donnie Darko. No, I don't know who Donnie is.
0: Yeah, I've got nothing. Um,
3: I don't know. Donnie Murphy.
0: (laughs) After Uh, reading the Jason Stark article in The Athletic detailing MLB's re-crackdown on the sticky stuff plan for 2023, yet another factor to worry about, I am having a Frank-esque panic attack about random slash known pitchers being affected. Could you go, guys go over the pitchers who were affected the most in the silky, smooth, and not sticky summer of 2021? I remember Darvish and Garrett Cole, Tyler Glass now destroying his arm, but were there more?
4: So this is a tough question because correlation does not equal causation, and just because someone had a bad stretch in the middle of the 2021 season doesn't necessarily mean that it was because of sticky stuff. So I, I tend to not put too much weight on this one on an individual pitcher basis. Like, yeah, it's possible. Garrett Cole will be affected or or you Darvish, but I I tend to think they'll figure it out just like they did, Mm -hmm. you know, like, how did they figure it out? But Like Garrett Cole, even in the 2021 season, did get better as that summer went on a lot of them did was it finding new ways around the rule was it mlb being laxer or was it just like it took some time to get used to i i don't don't know know. the answer to that i I know there is an answer i just don't think it's a knowable answer i i think it'll impact
3: big strikeout guys like high-end types more um it, it, it'll it'll help create less of a gap between them and everybody else. If 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 there is an impact, that's what I think it'll be. But in picking out individual pitchers, one I will say is James Karinchak. Yeah, it seemed like he was totally ruined without it, and then suddenly <laughs> he was fixed again last year. Um, but he's not obviously a high stature fantasy pitcher to begin with.
0: And there were still a lot of videos last year, I remember, of him either constantly touching his hair or there looked like maybe there was like Vaseline on the back of his pants or something like that that he kept going to between pitches. So I, it feels like they moved away from cracking down on it last year, but we'll see. Just another factor in fantasy baseball. They checked
3: the hand, I think, the same inning every time or something like that. Yeah, but they weren't really looking... Clearly, at clearly pitches. ways to exploit... The check
0: yes this one's from greg dear tommy jason and billy
3: uh those are very common names that's a tough one
0: i have a very strong guess i'm pretty sure these are power rangers
3: they were all power rangers yes
0: blue ranger red ranger green ranger makes sense right
3: Later, the White Ranger was Tommy. Yes. I don't know why I know this much about
0: Power Rangers. <laughs> Scott, it's all right by me. I was a huge Power Ranger fan growing up. I think that's probably the only reason why I know this. Have you guys ever done a league with left field, center field, and right field designations rather than the general outfield designations? Our Points League is considered uh, considering doing it this year as a way to make it a little deeper. Not like outfield isn't uh, bad enough, huh? Since we currently have the standard three outfield spots, what are your general thoughts on this type of league? And then ask if there's any players that, that stand out. I, I say this every offseason. I've always wanted to play in a league like this. I've never done it. I think it's very interesting. I mean, there's some outfielders that bounce around between different outfield spots. So it's like, how do you designate? But
3: no, maybe we should el- make... The same way you designate eligibility anywhere else.
0: Maybe we should make the
4: four the people league.
3: Left field, center field, right
0: field.:
4: My guess is left field: would <laughs> yeah. be the, My guess it. is left field would be the weakest, but I'm not actually confident. Uh, in it that. shouldn't be because it is the one of the th-
3: two easiest positions to play, so you'd think, you yeah. know they'd hide bats out there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it has kind of become weak. Uh, maybe that's going to change now that there's more of a premium on defense again and more of a premium on power again but as things currently stand i think right field is absolutely the strongest followed by center field and then left but yeah i mean it's gonna it's going to okay i well. think the scarcities that are being introduced especially given the current state of the outfield is not gonna be worth it
4: i don't know last think year left field collectively had the highest ops of the three outfield positions okay uh, center field had the lowest, but there were a lot more stolen bases at center field. Um, right field had more home runs. So I don't know.
0: That makes sense off the top of my head. Like judge plays right field. Obviously yeah. they get a huge bonus there center field. A lot of the times on bad teams, we'll just see a good defender out there who can't really do anything offensively. And then in left field, like Scott was just saying, you might hide someone there, but they're a good bat. So you just want to find a way to get their bat in the lineup. So yep. just talking well, it through funny. makes sense.
4: Unrelated, but kind of related. Third base had the second highest collective OPS last season. Maybe collective OPS isn't the best right, way to yeah. measure this. <laughs> <Yeah>. But <laughs> just, fair. I just find that interesting. Seven twenty-five yeah. OPS for left field and third base. First base was seven forty-six. DH seven ten. I, I think that's stupid. I think teams are misusing their <laughs> DH spot. But hey, that's yeah. that's been a long running trend. DH used to be by far the best position in terms of collective OPS. It no longer is, and that's that's a change.
0: I think with the introduction of the DH in the National League, yes, it created more jobs, but it also put a lot of worse hitters into Mm -hmm. those jobs, so that's why we've kind of seen it drag down a little bit. This one's from Peter. One of my secret sleepers that I haven't heard... I hope your league mates are not listening to this. Anyone talk about is Trey Mancini. If you take a look at his expected home run total at Wrigley Field for last year, it was 37. How accurate do you expect this statistic to be? I hope you say it's accurate because I've been grabbing him all (laughs) over the place.
4: So I I think Uh, there may be a mistake here. uh Uh-oh. Yeah. That's Cincinnati.
0: I didn't fact check this.
4: Yeah, oh, um, his expected home runs in Cincinnati were 37. Expected home runs in Chicago 21.
3: <laughs> oh, really? It's that changes changed that. things. Because I've noticed that for the Cubs, um, expected home run stats for most players is pretty high. And I thought, you know, just just looking at the overall park factors for w- Wrigley Field, you know, Wrigley Field is such an oddity that because of how much influence the wind has and what direction Mm -hmm. it's blowing on what particular day. Um, And it can be a huge home run park at times, but it can be a stifling home run park at times too. And so I I wonder if the inputs account for all of that. Yeah. I don't really know what the inputs are, so I can't say for sure, but I I think maybe the effect could be exaggerated for some players, Um, though as you're pointing out, not specifically Mancini. Uh, Mancini had a great ex home run number going to Houston last year and it didn't pan out. I just, I don't know. I don't know that it's there for him anymore. Uh, I'm not ruling it out, but in the same range, there are a lot more players. There are a lot of other players I can get more excited about, especially since he's a liability defensively. And at some point, we were, Matt Mervis is going to be put in the mix. and So I don't know how much job security he's going to have either. Yeah,
4: he he's more of a 15-teamer. For me, uh, I don't really reach a point in 12-team leagues where I think about him, but I could see snagging him as a corner infielder or, or utility option in, in a 15-team league, sure.
0: It's pretty clear to me that 2019 was the outlier for Trey Mancini with the juice ball when he hit 35 home runs. And obviously... For a lot
3: of players. He's yeah.
0: he's dealt with a lot since then, uh, obviously with a cancer diagnosis and then, and then making it back into baseball. So it's awesome to see that. But last year, he did... He doesn't impact the ball as hard as other players, and he kind of sold out for fly balls last year. He changed his launch angle, and it led to a lower bat, but then a lower batting average. So it seems like this is kind of the player he is, like 250-ish, 15 to 20 home runs. I guess there's still a chance he can outperform that, but I probably wouldn't put much stock into it. Sorry, Peter. Let's uh, promote one thing before we get to your Apple Podcast review questions. The CBS Sports Fantasy Baseball Commissioner product lets you run your league your way with endless ways to customize your scoring, roster, schedule, and more. With CBS Sports Commissioner, you can cut out the loopholes and arguments and play exactly how your league wants to. If you're watching us live, you've got the Scott White Dynasty League salary cap draft coming up tonight. Very excited for it. We had a Roto mock draft just the other day, which we did live, and worked out seamlessly so yeah just another reason to sign up for the commissioner product you could set up custom rules roto head-to-head points or categories salary cap or snake draft keepers contracts draft pick trading and multiple matchups per period so step up to the big leagues this season visit cbssports.com fbt to get a special offer when you start a new commissioner league today again that's cbssports.com fbt Let's get to your Apple podcast review questions. A lot of these are going to be keeper questions, so I think we can move pretty quick through those, and I think I have like 25 of these on the rundown, so let's see how many we can get to. From JB Rowe, 10-team, 7x7, head-to-head category, keeper league. Added categories are hits, OPS, quality starts, and pitcher losses. Grade the trade. I gave up Kyle Tucker, Manny Machado, and Andres Jimenez for Trey Turner, Jazz Chisholm, Alec Manoa, and Gunnar Henderson. Mm.
3: So, you know, I hate giving up the stud third baseman and Manny Machado, but you are getting one of the guys that I could live with there, Gunnar Henderson, in return. Um, You're getting a high-end pitcher that you didn't have before in Alec Manoa. You're getting an upgrade at second base, Jimenez to Jazz Chisholm, and you're getting an upgrade overall just in first-round type, Kyle Tucker to Trey Turner. So I think that's a a really good trade for you.
4: Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I think it's an A.
0: A? Cool, yeah. A's all around. This one's from Cole, Deer, Voight, Ruzek, and Atwater.
3: I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's John Voight, right? The, the the spelling with the G-H in there?
0: It looks like this is Chicago PD. Okay. I've I've never watched. I'm in a 12-team head-to-head points daily lineup league. Due to everybody's work schedules, we are forced to draft very early this year. So coming up this Sunday, March 5th, I really hope you listen to this podcast, we have only one week of spring training to observe players setting aside the injury risk and whatnot that comes over the following weeks. That said, what players are worth paying extra attention to this week based only off their performance thus far? So Cole sent this question in on Monday, Obviously, we only do one mailbag per week. And so I think I just wanted to highlight players that maybe have stood out to us so far. And the ones I wrote down Kyle Bradish, very deep sleeper. His velocity was up. Tyler Malley's velocity was up. Jose Barrios, the spin rate on his curveball was up. Andrew Painter looked pretty good in his first outing, so could have a job on opening day. Uh, Shane McClanahan, velocity was good. That's good news for his shoulder. We spoke about Jared Kelnick earlier. And Anthony Volpe, I wanted to highlight him because. We're recording this Thursday afternoon. He hit a leadoff home run. He already has a couple of stolen bases in spring. He's not on the 40-man roster, but if he keeps this up, he is really giving the Yankees a tough decision to make. Whether I don't think it would come at the expense of Oswald Peraza, but I don't know what they're going to do. Because if Volpe just crushes it, they probably need to give him an opening day roster spot.
3: Shamanai's velocity is way up. Uh, Noah Sindergaard's is way down. So maybe flip-flop there, sleeper appeal. Uh, I mentioned Patrick Sandoval, uh, reason to be encouraged for him. I think the player who's raised his stock in my own eyes so far is Garrett Mitchell. And it's not so much that he had a two-homer game. I mean, it's a reminder that there could be power that is unlocked there, but it's more just it's becoming increasingly clear that the Brewers want him to be their everyday center fielder. And I wasn't I wasn't totally confident in that before spring training. And if he's their everyday center fielder, you're talking huge steals potential for very low price in, at a position where everybody could use him in a Roto League.
0: All right, Chris, any standouts for you in spring training?
4: Adam Wainwright's velocity was down four miles per hour. <laughs> yeah, I don't I know. No, I, I, it, it's too early to yeah. to worry too much about spring. Like, Grayson Rodriguez said he, he made his spring debut today. He was averaging 98 miles per hour with his fastball. You know, he said his stuff is better now than it was a year ago. Take that for what it's worth. But looks like he's going to be on the opening day roster for the Orioles. Definitely someone who... I'm surprised there isn't more hype about I know there are questions about workload and how much he's going to be able to contribute this season. But like, if anyone could be the the Spencer Strider of 2023, you know, the guy who is currently arguably the top pitching prospect in baseball sure could be.
0: All right, this next one's from Matt Go cards. I play in a 6x5 Roto League that includes hits as a sixth category. Is there any advanced stat that would account for the number of hits more heavily outside of batting average? Any players that would be pushed up the most in your rankings with this high format? Chris, something that stood out to me, and I like this point that you make every year, someone like Tim mm-hmm. Anderson, where his walk rate is lower, his batting average matters more because it's, it's a lower denominator, I guess, or higher denominator. Higher denominator, yeah. Yeah, so it, his batting average counts for more because obviously he's not walking as much. Um, so I think any anybody with high batting average and low walk rate would do better in a league like this. So Tim Anderson, Jeff McNeil, Alex Verdugo, Luis Robert, Lourdes Gurriel, Ahmed Rosario, Nico Horner. Those were all names yep. that I think had under a 7% walk rate last year, but really good batting average.
4: L- Luis Arias as well. It, yeah. It's... I I don't love adding hits as a category when you keep average because you're kind of double counting in a lot of ways. But yeah, it it makes the one-dimensional batting average sources a little more valuable. I think it's the best way to think about it. Someone like Gene Segura could potentially be a little more valuable in this format as well. But that that profile, you're kind of slap-hitting middle infielders typically.
0: Yeah, C.J. Abrams, I I think, could make sense there as well. From Civilian, for the last four years, I have played in the Yahoo Public Head-to-Head Most Categories format, and I may have heard you guys say last year that you did not prefer that format. Which formats are your favorite to play? Also, which sites do you recommend for public leagues and prize leagues for a solo player? Well, I mean, we work for CBS Sports, right? So we've got to say CBS. Look, I, I... Actually, general. I like the format on CBS, the way everything's laid out. It's the first format and, and website that I've played on ever in fantasy. So I'm just really used to it at this point. So obviously I'm going to vouch for CBS. Uh, but yeah, which formats do you guys like playing in most?
4: I My favorite is weekly lineups, roto lineups, but with category, but head-to-head categories. That was I could have said that in a less <laughs> awkward way, but yeah, day, weekly head to-head categories with full roto lineups is my favorite because I love the the strategy of having to build a roto lineup and the the choices that you have to make in that regard. I think the standard head-to- head lineups just a little too shallow. It's a little too easy to build a, a lineup. You don't have to make as many trade-offs. But I like having the roto scoring and i like having the head to head aspect i think head to head is the most fun way to play fantasy i like having that aspect of it so yeah that's my that's my answer but i don't like daily lineups because i don't have the attention span to to manage my team every day that's just that is asking too much
0: scott if you've been trying to talk you're muted bud
3: okay yeah no <laughs> certainly if you want to play um cert- certainly if you want to play in like a dozen leagues you can't have yeah. Daily lineups, and if you do have daily lineups, you need to have weekly waiver runs because the constant streaming of players every day is just
4: that. Doesn't reward it, just rewards hustle. That's all yeah, it, it rewards being anal retentive.
3: <laughs> um, my favorite format is the one I started with: head-to-head points. Uh, it, During the juice ball, I know during the juice ball year, I say that all the time, but it's true. It kind of ruined head-to-head points baseball because the lineups are so small and there were so many redundancies within the hitter ranks that it it pretty much just became a race to the best pitchers, and that was annoying. But now that we're back out of that, uh, I think there's a lot more different approaches you could take. A lot of people are still going to favor pitchers because they tend to score a lot. I prefer streaming pitchers in that format. And um, I think it is the format that most rewards following a tiers approach and really finding those scarcities and taking advantage of them and sing- and separating your team in that way. I think it's also the, the format that allows for ease of trading the most. And like trading is kind of an... Trading is like one of the most fun parts of playing fantasy. It doesn't get analyzed a ton, but it is is—it is over the course of the season, I think the most enjoyable way uh, of managing your team is just making trades to upgrade it. And because, because there's more flexibility in the lineup, because you're not having to preserve all these various different categories, it, it allows for more maneuverability.
0: I think my favorite format is actually the Head-to-Head Points Tout Wars League that I play in, which (laughs) I've won two years in a row. Shameless Flex. But Head-to-Head Points, weekly lineups, salary cap slash auction, and it has Roto-style lineups. So it's a little bit deeper. It's two catchers. It's five outfielders, corner, middle. And it's seven starting pitchers and two relief pitcher spots. So I, I like how deep that it goes. I like the salary cap aspect you can get. All your favorite targets and there's a lot of strategy that goes into that as well and then head to head-to-head head points which is how i started playing fantasy as well prize leagues if you're looking for uh, i know fan tracks and nfbc are, are the ones that i would probably recommend most for that this one's from kid bachata hi eddie waldo and weasel
3: ah those are um the eddie winslow carl winslow's son from family matters and his friends Weasel and Waldo Geraldo Faldo.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. You, that was, there was so much confidence in that. I love it. 10 team daily head to head categories with OBP, middle infield and four outfield spots have to keep four of these. Jose Ramirez, Shohei Otani, Trey Turner, Mike Trout, Jordan Alvarez and Julio Rodriguez. My gosh.
3: <laughs> um, <laughs> I think the four to keep. <laughs> are Jose Ramirez, Trey Turner, Julio Rodriguez. And because it's a daily league, obviously, Shohei Otani. So we're leaving out Mike Trout and Jordan Alvarez. Good
4: so the only thing I would say is it is an OBP league. Mm-hmm. So I think you could make the case for Alvarez or Trout ahead of Julio Rodriguez, especially because you already have the steals with Trey Turner and Jose Ramirez. You could, but I wouldn't.
3: Well, I uh, uh, a strange thing I noticed with Trout the other day. You know what his OBP was last year? He hit over 280. His OBP yeah, he didn't walk very much last was year. was 368. Yeah. That's... I mean, maybe he'll get back to being a 430 OPS.
4: O- There's OBP been some though. weird stuff with his plate discipline the last few seasons, but it's also relatively small sample sizes across the board. So I, I still view him as an elite OBP guy.
0: The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at
1: newbalance.com. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love,
0: This next one's from Noah Ken. What is your opinion on gatekeeping third baseman from the rest of the league? I have the third overall pick in an eight-team league and was considering taking Jose Ramirez, an outfielder, and then potentially another third baseman for my corner infield spot.
4: So the problem is, let's say Brett Beatty and Josh Young have good seasons and Anthony Rendon bounces back. All of a sudden, this like panic about third base looks pretty silly because it's it's going to have enough guys, and so like I think it is valuable and worthwhile to play the position scarcity game to a certain extent. But this is basically building your entire team around the idea that there is that there just will not be enough third baseman, and maybe that will prove to be a valuable strategy and and a good prediction. There are too many factors involved in this to to play that game i think i think in an eight team
0: league i would worry about position scarcity less and just take also that take the best player in terms of their output
3: i would worry about position scarcity more the shallower the league is because you're going to feel those differences more um i mean unless it's just uh, unless the league itself is so shallow that you don't even get out of the shallow part of every position, but I I think you do, especially at third base in the outfield. There will be some people who don't have nearly the caliber of players as everyone else, and those people will almost certainly lose because of it.
4: Yeah, I I just think eight teams is like, like, okay, let's say you double up on two of the really good third basemen. You got Jose Ramirez and Rafael Devers. That means there are, Machado, Riley, Arenado, Witt, Bregman—I think—are kind of the. Is af, there's a drop off there? I think there's a drop. There's drop offs within the drop offs, but like there's. So like maybe one other team doesn't have a good third baseman. Like it, I don't know. Yeah, I I, just, I, I agree that this
3: strategy isn't. I, I was just addressing the broader point. Yeah, of like how much does position I to matter. I think you should just worry about getting the stud outfielder, getting the stud third baseman, like just. Just getting studs everywhere and leaving other people not to have studs at wherever they don't think to do that.
0: All right. Next up we have from... Andrew L 1422 10 team head-to-head categories with standard positions one catcher one of each infield spot three outfielders we can keep six but if we do keep six we lose our first round pick i have the 10th pick i'm keeping Trout Trey Turner and Devers i need three more Matt Olson Michael Harris Adley Rutschman Spencer Strider and Brandon Woodruff
3: Uh okay So you are going to keep, sorry, a lot of information that I'm having to reprocess here. Uh, you're going to keep Harris, right? Um, Olson, probably, and one of the pitchers.
4: So I do have Olsen ranked higher than Woodruff and Strider, but I think I would keep Harris, Strider, and Woodruff just to get the, the second starting pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, They've already
0: got Trout, Trey Turner, and Devers.
4: Yeah. Uh, particularly
3: since it's a 10-team league, I'm, I'm thinking you're going to find enough pitchers. But I understand your point.
0: Yeah, it's close. I think I would go Olsen, Harris, and Woodruff, but I think I'm kind of on an island ranking. You no, know, I like Woodruff more than Strider, but it's close for a lot of people. This one's from Kay Smitty. 2277. 12 team head to head points league. Need to keep two. Bobby Witt in the sixth, Verlander in the 7th, Gallon in the 12th, Dalton Varsho in the 14th.
3: Points league. So Witt in the 6th, I don't know. I mean, I, there's a chance he could improve. Um, but I if, if he's who he was last year, Witt in the sixth doesn't seem like a great value. I think I'd go with the I think i go with the pitchers, actually, since it is a points league. Verlander in the seventh, Gallon in the 12th. All
0: right. This next one's from yeah. somebody named Five uh, Five Star All Fake. All right, cool, nice. Uh, Twelve team headset categories need two keepers. Goldschmidt in the fourth. Bobby Witt in the seventh. Shane O Mack in the in the eighth. Julio Arias in the tenth. Eloy Jimenez in the twelfth. Vinny Pasquantino in the fourteenth, and Corbin Carroll in round
4: fourteen as well. Needs. I just don't know why you're asking for permission from a podcast that you think doesn't deserve five stars, but that's fine. Uh Um, need two keepers
3: you gotta keep Bobby Witt since it's a categories league in round 7 the other one I'm inclined to say it's between Goldschmidt in round 4 and Carroll in round 14 so Goldschmidt in round 4 is probably only a one round discount but it's for a stud bat and so any amount of discount is not a bad idea but Corbin Carroll could be a stud bat and you're Probably getting him twice as early, or you'd probably go in like round seven. And you're getting him round fourteen. I I think that's what I'd do. I think I'd go Witten and Carroll, and then you got a nice head start and stolen bases. the and,
4: uh, The added categories in this instance on base percentage, total bases, make me lean Goldschmidt, just because I think he's going to be really good in those. And Carroll, well, may, may not be. Well, not Carol, to the same like If, if,
3: if Carroll falls short in home runs, he's hitting a lot of doubles and triples. So I I think. I think it actually helps improve his stock, too, um, the total bases.
0: It's close. I'll break the tie. I was leaning McClanahan or Corbin Carroll, so I guess the fact that two of us decided uh, Corbin Carroll's worth consideration, then I think we probably would go with him. This one's from DSA 2020. Quick question on 5x5 Roto with weekly lineup locks. We have to fill nine pitcher spots, but no starting pitcher or relief pitcher requirements. Minimum innings pitched is 1,000, but no maximum. How would you construct your mix knowing that the roster spots lock on a weekly basis? Well, that's normal. This is actually a rule. Yeah, we don't don't mention it often, but in standard 5x5 Roto with nine pitcher spots, you can divvy them up however you want. There is normally an innings minimum. Sometimes it's nine hundred. Sometimes it's a thousand. And the point that's is pretty high. The yeah. point that that I've heard the reason that's in place is so that you can't just have nine relievers in your lineup and wind up with re- yeah. really low ratios. So uh, that's yeah. why there is an minimum uh, a minin- minimum innings requirement.
3: I think I'd make sure to get to solid relievers I'm not saying they have to be one of the top nine like you have to get uh you know Devin Williams and Jordan Romano you don't have to go that high end but you get one of those top nine and get like a a Daniel Bard or Camilo Duvall or Alexis Diaz type to pair with them. somebody who's who you know is in that closer spot to begin the season and then you can fill the other seven spots with starting pitchers without having to worry about um Chasing
4: saves. You know, I'm, I'm a thousand did sound high. I'm looking at our Memorial Magazine draft. Uh, is that what we call that light league? Isn't that 900 or no? Well, but last league. year, the lowest innings total for any team was 1374. Oh, really? So, okay. I, I guess. I
3: guess it's never been an issue. Somebody well, uh, that falling below. I don't know if that's, that's including. That's averaging a hundred innings per spot. Oh, it might be including
4: benches. That's that's the question that I'm trying to okay. figure
3: out now. Yeah. Yeah. I've never known anybody who's actually finished the year under the the innings. Yeah. So I think it's pretty generous. A hundred. It's a hundred innings per spot is nine hundred. This would be a thousand divided by nine. Uh, One hundred eleven innings per spot. You can't have too many relievers in those spots, bottom line, especially since so many starting pitchers these days are going like 130, 140, 150 innings. I I wouldn't want to mess with it too much. I'll stick with what I originally said.
0: If you go six starters or less, then you can very quickly fall behind in wins and strikeouts. So that's why you typically see six or seven starting pitchers in a starting lineup in that format.
4: I would say it's just build it like a normal roto league and you'll probably get there. And if not, if if you're falling short of the pace, you'll know, you know, you, you should, you'll, you'll have to make some trades, but like if you're falling short of the innings pace, it probably means you're already doing pretty well in saves. So you can afford to. This one's
0: from GDCA2020. I in a 12-team dynasty league and need to keep five of the following. Ronald Acuna, Fernando Tatis, Adley Rutschman, Bryce Harper, Spencer Strider, and Alec Manoa. So basically the question is, should you stash Harper over any of those names?
3: <laughs> I think you should stash him over Rushman.
0: Those catchers
4: aren't as impactful overall. I I think so, yeah.
0: Yeah, especially if you have an IL spot. If you don't, then I I would not do that. This one's from Vilwak79. Dear Frank, Brooks, and Cal.
4: Those Those are
3: are... Orioles' third baseman. I mean, Cal, obviously, mostly short stuff, but he was a third baseman at the end.
0: Sure. I'm playing in a Roto Keeper League with quality starts in place of wins. I can keep Sandy Alcantara for $22 and Christian Javier for 6 I can't decide if I should splurge for a third ace to fortify my strikeouts or keep more money for hitters and keep those two as my SP1 and SP2.
3: Well, you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> that looks like a pretty good one, good one and two to me. Yeah. And they complement
0: uh, each other pretty well because you get the innings from Sandy, you get the higher strikeout uh, rate from Javier.
3: Yeah, so I would, I would, uh, I would take care of your, your hitter spots where the scarcities, I think, are going to be more pronounced.
0: This one's from Andy B 1021 in a 12-team roto league with the 10th pick in mock drafts. I keep winding up with Juan Soto and Manny Machado. Are there any concerns with making your first two picks from the same MLB team?
4: I did that in TGFBI with Juan Soto and Fernando Tatis. the The, the thing about having two Padres with your first two picks is the Padres have a lot of really good players. Sure do. Like it would be a problem if your two best players were from the Marlins <laughs>
0: <laughs> or the Tigers, but I don't even know how that would but happen. Like,
4: <laughs> you know, if you've got Ronald Acuna and Michael Harris, you know, that's probably okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, again, if they're your first two or three uh, hitters drafted, they're, they're, they're probably are, going in in the early. There rounds,
4: so. are some like fringe scenarios that could screw you, right? Like, I remember, I think it was 2004 or 2005, the Marlins just had this crazy stretch. Well, South Florida had this stretch where there was just a ton of hurricanes. And the Marlins ended up getting screwed, had to play like 28 games in 26 days. A bunch of them were on the road. The team collapsed down the stretch. Like that kind of thing could hurt you in like, real outlier fringe scenarios 2020 especially would have been bad when yeah. team, when like the cardinals and marlins both yeah. like lost half their teams to COVID. that's, <laughs> that's less of a concern now so like yeah. it's it's I, act th- of god stuff that you're worried yeah you know, like basically. there are like it, you could see a scenario where like there's a correlation where just the braves just have a, a bad year right but. and like just Something happens and and your 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 team gets kind of dragged out. Your Padres have a bad year and Soto and Machado both happen to have bad seasons for. But it's equally true that you could have an outlier outcome where they have both have massive seasons that feeds each other and they end up having even better seasons as a result. So I, I don't really worry about it.
0: This last question is from SavvyPA. 12-team, head-to-head categories, keeper league, one catcher, three outfielders, two utility spots. Currently keeping Sandy Alcantara in the sixth, Logan Gilbert in the 10th, George Kirby in the 11th, William Contreras in the 14th, Tony Gonsolin in the 19th, and Nicola Dolo in the 20th. Would you swap any of those for Corey Seager in the fourth, Clay Holmes in the 14th, or Oscar Gonzalez in the 14th?
3: Uh, maybe Seager. I usually try and get Seager in round five, but you know, in, in a keeper league, it's hard to get things that perfect. Yeah, and I just like I'm not wowed by the values of like Logan Gilbert in the tenth and George Kirby in the eleventh.
4: Yeah, yeah, they'll they'll
3: go there, and, and even if they go a round or two earlier, it's like. I don't know. I just don't value one middle-round target that much more than
4: another. I'd throw Gilbert back and and keep Seager because I prefer Kirby to Gilbert.
3: Also, Clay Holmes in the 14th, I I don't know how scarce saves are going to be. A lot of times, the value of of save sources could get inflated, and Mm
1: -hmm. he
3: may end up going much earlier than 14. He may go like the 10th Mm or 11th. Um, I might... I might throw Kirby back and do that.
0: All right. Well, hope you're not a Mariners fan because we're getting rid of both Logan Gilbert. (laughs) You can throw Gonsolin
3: and and back instead if you just like really love George Kirby. Sure. But it's, you know, I, I I think the the point is there are going to be a lot of starting pitchers out there like those two, and there are only so many closers.
0: All right, we're going to wrap there for Scott and Chris. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. If you're watching us live on YouTube, we'll be back here later on tonight. And if not, on the podcast side, we'll be back next week. Bye-bye.
2: Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story and one of the best